if you have your Bible with you today, I'd like you to open with me to the New Testament book of Luke. We will be in Luke chapter 9 today, and we will begin reading in verse 18. Luke chapter 9 and verse 18. And today I want us to consider the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's the man on the street, that very question. You probably get about as many answers. Of course, if you ask around here, I mean, we're kind of the, the buckle of the Bible belt. And so you probably get a lot of biblically, biblically consistent answers. But having said that, let's not, uh, let's not fool ourselves. There are a lot of, well, just to put it plainly, there are a lot of lost people in the area. There are a lot of people that, that don't have a, a background in church. Maybe they weren't raised in church. Uh, their, their parents didn't go to church. And so they may not have a good answer to the question, who is Jesus? And they picked it up through uh, their, their answers. They pick up through maybe popular culture, shows they've seen on TV and, and things like that. But today we're going to look at, the, at, at what the Bible says about who Jesus is. And it's an important question because um, it, it, it's so important that if you get this one wrong, it can have dire eternal consequences and it will, it, it will condemn your soul well, to, to, to hell. And so what I'd like us to do today with this text is I'd like us to work our way through it, see what Jesus says and, and what the scripture says about who he is. So if you've found Luke chapter 9, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 18 and read down to verse 22. It says, And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others, that one of the prophets of old has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and be raised on the third day. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now, the first thing I want you to see in our text today is that the people didn't know, did not understand who Jesus is. If you look at verse 18, just, just kind of pick up where we left off. Remember, Jesus had sent the apostles out in pairs of, well, not in pairs of two, in, in groups of two. They sent them out in pairs, and uh, they, they went out on and what, what you might call a short-term mission trip. They were preaching the gospel. They were uh, healing diseases. They were casting out demons, doing all these different things. They came back. Jesus said, come away by yourselves for a little bit. We're going to have a rest. They went off by themselves to get some rest, but the crowds were kind of, they were almost always present around Jesus. And so they see Jesus going off with the disciples. They decide they want to come too. And so they go and, and, uh, and Jesus greets them. He welcomes them and he begins to teach about the kingdom of God and, and heal their diseases and so forth. And, and right at the end of that, you remember, he performs the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which we looked at last week. Now, um, finally, he, he gets the people all away. He's, he's fed them. They've gone on to their homes. They've, they've left. Jesus is... is, mo- is is alone with his disciples. They've all dispersed. There's no, there's no demonic possession he's working with. There's no uh, healing. There's no teaching. It's just him and his disciples. And so Jesus takes that opportunity in verse 18 to pray. Now, I mentioned this before, but this is one of Luke's emphases, emphases is that Jesus was a man of prayer. And so Jesus goes off by himself for a little bit, and he prays. And after he finishes his time, he comes to the disciples and he says, who do the people say that I am? Now, I want you to notice just a couple things about, uh, about this question. First, he says, who do the people say that I am? 
He's, he's not asking for a systematic theology coursework answer. He's not wanting them to get into the, the hypostatic union and, 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 the, and the Trinity and, and all these different things. He's wanting to know what the man on the street has to say about him. Second, he wants to know what the people say. Now, that word translated as people is not the, it's not the same word that you translate as meaning nations, for instance. It's a word that means the crowds. What do the crowds say about me? You're out there among them. You've, you've gone on this short-term mission trip. You've gone out to different areas. You worked with the people as I was feeding them. What do the people say about me? Who do they say that I am? Now, now Jesus wants to know what John Q. Public believes about him. Notice he asks what the people say. He doesn't ask what the religious elite say about him. The reason is, number one, they know who he is. The, the religious elites know the prophecies. They know what the Old Testament says about the coming Messiah. For instance, Mark chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. It says, Then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial, in any, not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Or John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know God is a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. What they said to, to him and to others about him, you'll notice they never denied that he was, said, we're looking for the king of the Jews. You remember what happened? They called in these, these religious leaders and said, where's the Messiah going to be born? And they said, Bethlehem of Judea, because they knew in Micah it prophesied that Jesus, the, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. They knew who he was. Jesus wasn't interested in what they said. He wanted to know what, what the people, the man on the street, what did they say about him? Who do they say he is? See, these religious leaders, it's not that they didn't know who he was. They just disliked who he was because he called them out for their secret sin. And he was, he was pulling away some of their prestige because as people began to esteem him more, they esteemed them less. So Jesus says, who do the people say that I am? Now, the disciples share some of the, some of the, uh, the, the common theories. And, and one of the things that we see is that the people didn't grasp who he was. The, they recognized that he was something special, that he was different, that he had supernatural abilities and supernatural powers. But they didn't fully recognize who he was. And so one of the theories was that he was John the Baptist. Now it's not that hard to see how there was a jump from John the Baptist to Jesus. I mean, apart from the fact that John the Baptist was dead. But other than that, I mean, we could see the, we could see the jump, right? Because, because John came onto the scene. He was preaching about the kingdom of God, calling people to repent. And that's what Jesus did. He called people to repent in order to enter the kingdom. They had a similar message. Some said Elijah. Again, it's easy to, to see why they would associate Jesus with Elijah because Elijah is one of the greatest Old Testament prophets. Here's Jesus, a man who's, who's mighty in deed and, and word. And so, so we could see how they could uh, connect the two dots. Others, they said, believe that he is one of the prophets, the Old Testament prophets risen from the dead. And we don't know which ones for sure, but maybe some of them thought it was maybe Moses. Say, Moses? I don't think him as a prophet. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, Moses prophesies that, that, that God would raise up a prophet like himself. And we know that was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Elisha, maybe they, maybe they were thinking about him because we're not as familiar with this text. But in 2 Kings chapter 4, right at the end of the chapter, Elisha, who is Elijah's successor, he feeds 100 men with just 20 loaves of bread. 
And so, it, and, and there were some left over. It, it was a miracle. And so maybe they looked at these, the feeding of the 5,000. They say, well, I could see some similarities here between their ministries. And, and so whoever they thought that it was, they, they recognized that Jesus was a prophet. And usually that would have been a high honor to be lumped in with the Old Testament prophets. I mean, if somebody would look at me and say, I'm not sure if that's Jeff or if that's Elijah. Or, or Elisha, he was the bald one. Um, I, would, I would take that as a compliment. But even though it was a high honor, it wasn't enough. Because Jesus was a prophet, but he was much more than a prophet. So, and, and so it is today. People today, many do not know who Jesus is. There are, there are people who believe in some faiths that even teach that Jesus was a mighty prophet. They, they say that Jesus was, was a, a man of God, but he wasn't God incarnate. There are some people who think that Jesus was a real inspiring teacher. And, and many people have remade Jesus into their own image. And so uh, they, they think that he just was a super nice guy, had lots of good things to say. James Ora, you stop that. They think that Jesus had lots of good things to say about love and tolerance and just having good feelings about people, and, and acceptance, and, and so forth. Other people have so melded their love of God and country, that it's like they believe that Jesus, when he was born in, in Bethlehem, and he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, that, that those swaddling clothes were, was made of the American flag. And they've so melded Jesus and, and America, they think that, that he just likes us so much, that he would never bring judgment to this nation, no matter what perversity we put forth, no matter what, what rank blasphemy that we hold on to and promote. Oh, he just likes it so much. There, there are some who, who, who doubt that Jesus, even that there, were, that there was an historical Jesus. They think it's all made up. What do you believe about the matter? What do you believe about the matter? Who do you say Jesus is? That's the question that Jesus posed to the disciples. Who do you say that I am? Look, look carefully at verse 20. We have a key word in there. He says, who do the people say that I am? And they give him all these theories. And that very first word, it's, 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 it's a word of contrast. He said, but, however, regardless, who do you say that I am? And the you is emphatic. It calls for a decision. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the demons cast out. They've heard the teachings. They've seen his manner of life. They've done all these things, and the miracle of the, the bread and the fish is not the only miracle that informed their beliefs, but it was kind of a culmination of all these other things. And he said, seeing this, seeing all that you have, who do you say that I am? And notice what it says very carefully. Verse 20, he said to them, plural, who do you, plural, say that I am? Peter, singular, answers the question. Peter, Peter pipes up. He, he answered the, for the whole group. He was the spokesman. And he said, the Christ of God. The Christ of God. Now, that's kind of an uncommon title. It's accurate. We just don't commonly see it used. <coughs> Excuse me. But remember, Christ means anointed. It, it's, the, it's the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He is God's anointed. And Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He is the Messiah, the Christ of God. 
The Lord foretold in the Old Testament about one who was to come. He would be born of a virgin, descendant of David. That he would live a sinless life. That he would suffer at the hands of, of, of sinful men. That, that he would uh, bear the, the, the sins of his people in his body. He would absorb the wrath of God for those sins. That he would be buried. And that on the third day he would rise again. And praise God, that's exactly what he did. See, the ministry of the Messiah was not what the people commonly expected. Because there are some texts in the Old Testament that did talk about the Messiah coming in and, and, and making the wrong things right. Of defeating Israel's enemies, of ushering in the Messianic kingdom. And those things are going to happen when Christ constitutes and, and, and consummates his kingdom. But then there are other texts that talk about him being a suffering servant. Of the, the cross before the crown. And the people of the time didn't, didn't recognize that Jesus was there to bear the cross. They didn't recognize that he was there to save from sin. And, and when you see this written about in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Isaiah. Starting in chapter 42, we see the suffering servant. And we see this description of all these things the suffering servant would do. And it goes on for several chapters. And it culminates, I believe, in, in chapter 53 with a description of the Messiah's ministry and, and and I won't, I won't read the whole chapter, but it says that, for instance, he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. <coughs> Excuse me. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to His own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. And it goes on to talk about Him being laid in the dust of death. And, and he, was, he was with the, uh, the, the wicked in His death, but with the rich man in His burial. He died on the cross between two thieves. And He was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. I mean, the, the, the whole Old Testament points to him, but especially Isaiah 53 talks about him being the suffering servant. He would justify many. He would, he would bear our iniquity, our sin. Our sin, which, which we had committed, was laid on him. He took the punishment for that. That is about Jesus. And if we will trust in him and what he did on the cross, his finished work, we will be saved. He is the Messiah. And I can say this, and I will say this on the authority of the Word of God. If, you, when, if, if you're here today, if it's somebody that's, that's, that's watching, maybe live stream, or watching this at a later date, it's going to be just as true a hundred years from now as, it's, as it is true today. If you will trust Christ for salvation, He will save you. Who do you say that He is? If your answer is not that He is your personal Lord and Savior, you need to repent and believe the gospel. Now that's what we might expect the disciples to do. That's what we might expect Jesus to be like, okay, you don't really understand all of it, but you have the gist of it. Go out and tell everybody. But look at what he says. Verse 20, Peter answered and said, You are the Christ of God. Verse 21, But he warned them and instructed them. It's, it's emphatic. Don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody 
what you've just discovered, what you've just come to this conclusion. Don't tell people yet. The question is, why? Why would Jesus, when his disciples have finally grasped it, they, they finally got it right, why would then he turn around and say, now don't tell anybody yet? Well, I believe the reason is because the people were not ready to receive it yet. See, they had in their minds that Messiah was going to come in and he was going to go scorched earth on Rome. He was going to cast off the Roman oppression. He was going to come in and usher in the golden age of, of Israel. He was going to come in and set up the Messianic kingdom. And, and he was, he, if he was proclaimed to be the Messiah, they would try to make him king before it was time. And we see that they actually did this during his ministry. They tried to make him king by force. But listen, our days of silence are over. Jesus told the disciples here, don't tell people, but he didn't leave that as the last command. Because he also gives the Great Commission. He says, now it's time to go out. Now it's time to go to all the nations and, 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 and make disciples and preach and teach and, and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. Because, here's the reason why, he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. In other words, we need to go out, we need to tell people about Jesus, we need to preach the gospel, we need to, we need to proclaim the, the good news of the gospel, because one day each of us is going to stand before God in judgment. Each of us is going to stand before God in judgment. Therefore, we need to preach the gospel. And if you've never done that, if you have never repented of your sin, if you've never turned to Christ in faith, you are in disobedience to God this very hour. Therefore, repent and believe. Finally, we see in verse 20, uh, 22, Jesus enters really a new phase of his ministry. His, his, his passion, his suffering is nearing. And from here on out, even though we still have the bulk of Luke ahead of us, from here on out, Luke focuses on Jesus' trip to Jerusalem where he will eventually be crucified and rise again. Notice, if you would, verse 22, the extent of the rejection he's going to experience, but also the knowledge that is going to happen, even though it's still future. In other words, this doesn't take Jesus by surprise. It's not like he went to Jerusalem and he got to the cross and while all this was happening, he said, I just can't believe this happened to me. I didn't see this coming. No, all the way back in chapter 9, he tells them. Look at verse 22. And he was saying to them all, or sorry, that's verse 23. Verse, 23, verse 22, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things. That word must, in the original, it has, has the idea of binding. It has the idea of a divine obligation. In other words, Jesus was divinely obligated to suffer and die. Now understand it wasn't that he did this at gunpoint. It wasn't like the father said, if you don't, you, you have to do this. I'm, I'm making you, I'm going to twist your arm and just force you to do this. Now Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus willingly, out of great love, emptied himself, stepped into his own creation to die a substitutionary death. To redeem sinful man. That any who would believe on him would have 
everlasting life. But having said that, it was the plan of God to bring about salvation to sinners in this way. It says that he must suffer. And that word suffer, it has the, you probably have heard of the movie The Passion of the Christ. That word passion means suffering. It's pathos. It's what he experiences. It's not just a strong feeling. It's not the strong feeling of Christ. It's the suffering of Christ. And so look at what he says is going to happen in verse 22. He will suffer many things. He was physically tortured. He was beaten. He was spit upon. He was scourged. They shoved a a crown of thorns into his brow, and then they hit him in the head. They nailed him to the cross. He suffered many things. But he also suffered rejection by those who, who not only should have known better, they did know better. Look at verse 22, who it is. The list just keeps going on. He'll be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and he would be killed. But notice he doesn't stop there. The third day, he'll rise again. If we have a, if we have a Savior who is dead, he's not a Savior. If he cannot de- defeat... The, the grave for himself, he cannot defeat the grave for you and I. Jesus rose from the dead. And that's the essence of the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. In other words, Paul is saying, Okay, I want you to listen up because here's the gospel. Of first importance, not chronologically. He's saying this is number one. Here's the most important thing. Here's the gospel. Here's what he says. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. In other words, Jesus is the gospel. What he did is the gospel. The gospel is not about fixing our family. The gospel is not about changing our nation. The gospel is not about making us better husbands and wives and children and employers and employees. It's about what Jesus did on the cross. Now, we'll, when we accept Christ as our Savior, when we, when we uh, surrender our life to Him, will that change the, the type of husband we are, the type of wife we are, the type of children we are, employers, employees, all that stuff? Will it change all those things? Yes. Will it change a nation? Yes. Because, each, because the, the gospel affects the heart. And as the hearts change, it's going to change families and that will change communities, which will eventually change a nation. But the gospel is not a political movement. The gospel is about what Jesus did on the cross. That he died according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures for sin. For my sin. For your sin. If you've never trusted in Christ, if you you call him anything besides your personal Savior and Lord, you need to repent and believe the gospel. He's not just a a good man. He was a good man. He is a good man. He didn't just teach love. He taught that, but not only that. He didn't just have a lot of nice things to say. He is the Savior of mankind. You need to lay down your arms. Surrender your life to Him. You need to call to Him alone for salvation. Because there's salvation found in no one else. Uh, No other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is it. Believe on Jesus for the forgiveness of sin. 
And make no mistake, you're not neutral about Jesus. You're either for him or against him. Neutrality is a myth. You either serve him or you don't. You either love him or you don't. And if you think it's better to serve some false god that can't forgive your sin, some, some, some man that can't defeat death for himself, somebody that, that uh, some, some religious system that, that, that can't forgive your sin, can't give you peace, can't make you right with God, can't get you to heaven, if you think that's the better way, go do that. But the Bible says, choose this day who you're going to serve. It calls for a decision. Now for those of us who have done this, who have, who have trusted in Christ for salvation, this is a call to us as well. Jesus said to his disciples, who do you say that I am? We would say, well, I say he's Lord. Do you act like it? Because a Lord calls the shots. A Lord is the boss. He's calling us to make a stand in our home, in our family, in our workplace, in our community. You may call him Lord, but he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and no do the things I say? I want to leave you with a question that Jesus asked. Who do you say Jesus is? Want to stand with me as a musician comes? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want to pose that question one more time. Who do you say Jesus is? Not who does mom and dad say Jesus is. Not who does grandma and grandpa say Jesus is. Not who does your Sunday school teacher, your preacher, any of those other people. It's not who do they say Jesus is. Who do you say Jesus is? Because if you cannot honestly say he is your personal Lord and Savior, you need to get right with God today. Say, Pastor, that's that's pretty blunt. That's a fact. God has called all people everywhere, that means you and me, to repent. If you've never done it, Call on Him for salvation. If you have done it, again, who do you say Jesus is? Is He your Lord? Is He the boss? Does He have control over the way that you talk, the way you spend your money, all the, all the, all the parts of your life? Heavenly Father, We're thankful that you have made it so abundantly clear what a person must do to be saved. And that's to repent, to turn from sin, and to call out to Christ for salvation, to believe on him. And it's something that's, it's something that's so simple that a child can understand it, a child can do it. You know, we as adults sometimes get tripped up because we think there's something else that surely that must be done but we thank you that Jesus did it all he paid the full price that anyone who would believe on him would be saved 
Thank you for that, God. And Lord, if there's somebody who's, uh, who's hearing me today that's never done that, I pray that you would help them to trust in, trust in you. And God, if there's somebody here maybe that's, that's done that, but they are trying to live life their own way, they're trying to go off and do their own thing and, and kind of tack you on that's where it's convenient and let you have sway in, in most areas of life, but we try to keep out some parts to ourselves. God, none, none of us is going to live the Christian life perfectly. Help us always to be doing a better job. And God, we thank you for your grace for when we don't do a good job. We thank you that, that, that you remember that we are only dust. And that you're like a compassionate father for those who love you. Now God, again, I pray that you would move in our midst. Take your word and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. What song?